something. Good morning, church. How are you today? Oh, I'm so sorry. Sounds like you were all very sad and sick. I'm really sorry to hear that. I hope you feel better in the days ahead and uh, make sure you get to a doctor for whatever it is that's bothering you. Uh, we are continuing our series this morning called Call and Response. We've got a, a few weeks left in this series, and if you were with us last week, uh, we, we covered six chapters, seven chapters, uh, six through 12, and in those, God responds, I think, to Pharaoh's question when Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And it, what's, what's more, I don't know him, and I'm not going to do what he says. And we saw in our study last week that God uh, consequentially comes in and says, oh, I'm so glad you asked who I am and why you should obey me. And then through the plagues, he very powerfully demonstrates both his control over all of creation, uh, his superiority over the false gods of the Egyptians, and he also does exactly what he says he's going to do. He stirs in the heart of Pharaoh in such a way that Pharaoh himself looks at the Israelites and says, get out. I don't want you here anymore, which is precisely what God said he would do in Exodus chapter four. We talked about the fact that God in his mighty power is capable of doing everything he says he's going to do. And so now as we move into Exodus 13 and the text we read today and in this whole chapter, we see them in what should be sort of an ongoing Exodus, right? They should be on their way out. And yet it's interesting to know, and the timing is important that in both chapter 12, where uh, we see the, uh, the Passover take place, the angel of death that comes through and kills the firstborn of every herd and flock and family that doesn't have the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorpost, in both 12 and in 13, instead of the people just sort of getting their stuff and moving to the promised land, instead we see God begin and instate some new ceremonial uh, remembrances, right? There are three of them that take place in 12 and in 13. The first one is the instatement of the Passover. Uh, in 13, we see both the consecration of the firstborn and the feast of unleavened bread. Now, I don't know if you've ever been um, in the process of moving or like traveling. Some I'm actually moving from Long Beach to Fullerton this week. So in the next week, I'm packing all my stuff and I'm moving over here. I'm excited about that also. I'm tired of driving on the 91. You know what I'm talking about? Actually, this, I don't know how many of you commute on the 91, but this week I was driving to work in the morning and I drove past like a Chevy Suburban that looked like it had been hit by a rocket launcher. Did you see that? It was like completely engulfed in flame. And I was like, okay, this is where we live. Fine. No big deal. Just going to wish I had some marshmallows. I'd have cooked them. Uh, I'm happy to not do that drive much longer. But all that to say, in the midst of this week in which we're moving, there are a million details, Right? Things are boxed up. We got to make sure we switch over the phones and we got to make sure we switch over the mail and we got to make sure, you know, there's just all these little things that have to fall into place for the move to happen. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I have room in my head for much else. It's crazy to me that God has led the people out by the strength of his hand, by his provision and his sovereignty. And now they're going and instead of just going, hey, get a move on, God goes, hey, uh, while you're going, there's a couple of things I want to get started here. They're all memorials that I want to be in effect uh, for, for the future ongoing. Every year, I want you to celebrate the Passover. And he gives very strict uh, routine, a very strict uh, demands for how the Passover should be celebrated. Then we get into 13. He says, every firstborn from every flock and from every herd, from every family, I want to be consecrated and dedicated to me, set apart for my service. Uh, and he gives some details on how that's supposed to happen in 13, basically, basically like verses 11 through 16. And then in 13, verses uh, 3 through 10, he instates the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where they celebrate. And we'll look at those in a second. But the timing seems really weird. You would imagine that the people would probably look at God and go, hey, 
we're fine with having a few new holidays. We're fine with putting a few new like celebrations on the calendar, but can we wait until we get where we're going, right? Can we wait to sort of figure out all these details until we get to the promised land? We're able to put, you know, the stuff out of our suitcases into the dressers and we can sort of settle a little bit, but that isn't God's timing. And what we want to see this morning in the course of our study is that remembrance is so vital and so important in the life of a follower of God that even in the midst of this incredible move, even in the midst of this miraculous movement through the Exodus, God takes the time in the midst of that to stop and say, I want to instate a couple of ceremonies, a couple of memorials that I want you to hold on to and that I want you to repeat in order that you don't forget, in order that you don't forget. It's interesting that uh, in 12, look at, uh, look at chapter 12, verse 14, when he's talking about Passover. He says, this day shall be for you a, mo- a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Down in verse uh, 25, he says, when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. The first thing that I want us to note this morning as we look at this focus of God upon remembrance is that he doesn't want us to just get into the future and celebrate the place we find ourselves. He doesn't want us to be so preoccupied with where we're going that we forget where we've been and how we moved from there to here. That process and remembering that process is very important to God. Remembrance is very important to him. He, he's so focused on it, in fact, that the Passover is given to the people so that when they get into the promised land, they don't just celebrate the fulfillment of God's promises. They don't just celebrate how cool it is to no longer be enslaved. They don't just celebrate the fact that they have seen the realization of things that were promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in their own lifetimes, but that when they get into the new place, they take the time to celebrate the God who put them there and who brought them there. God, see, he understands that we tend to be forgetful people, don't we? That without some memorials in place, without some rhythms, without some patterns, without some ceremony, if we don't put some of these structures into place in our life, we are prone to forget and then both to repeat the mistakes of the past and then to fall into the timeless trap that God's people have fallen into where they start to feel anxious and they start to feel selfish. They start to feel internally focused because they forget who their God is. He instates the Passover. He also instates this, uh, the, the consecration of the firstborn. Look at chapter 13. Chapter 13, look at what it says in verse, uh, where am I at? 13 verse one. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast is mine. Jump down to verse 11 where he picks this theme up again. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? 
You shall say to him by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. God says, I want you to consecrate or to set apart as holy the firstborn of every flock and every herd and every family. And I want you to sacrifice those things that 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 are worthy of sacrifice, the unclean animals, I want you to redeem. And if you're not gonna redeem them, then you have to break, I don't even know how you'd go about breaking a donkey's neck, by the way, right? Anybody ever done that? I hope not. I hope you haven't done that, right? But what God's saying, God's saying here, look, I want you to put a remembrance in place so that you don't forget that in the course of the Passover, every firstborn of every herd and flock and family would be dead if not for me. If it weren't for me, all of your firstborn sons and all of the firstborn of your flock would be dead. But because I saw the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the door posted on the frame, I passed over and I spared them. I want you to give back to me or to consecrate to me the first. Because apart from me, they wouldn't even be alive. There's an interesting principle. Now listen, we we as followers of the Lord Jesus are not called to uphold these same traditions. We're not called to maintain these same celebrations, these ceremonies, right? We're not governed by the same law. But at the same time, there is something really beautiful about the character of God that is revealed. We don't want to dismiss a passage like this, right? You might look at it and go, well, what do I care about redeeming a donkey or about sacrificing for it? Like, I don't even own a donkey, right? And by the way, if you're here this morning and you own a donkey, just leave that donkey alone, right? Don't, I don't want you to go home today feeling like you gotta do something weird to it. Um, what we learn here is not a ceremony that we need to keep in place, but a larger overarching picture of a God who cares about certain things. And God says to the people, you're firstborn, you only have because I, I gave them to you, because I, I permitted you in my grace to retain them. And so I want you to dedicate them to me as a way to remember and to demonstrate that what you have You have because of my grace. You know, it's interesting when we talk about giving. A lot of times in in today's world, Christians think, well, you know, we don't have to make a sacrifice. There's no sacrifice required of Christians because, you know, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And that's true. We don't have to go every year. We're going to be talking about that in in the coming series that's coming up in a couple of weeks. We don't have to go every year and make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus did that on our behalf. And he is a superior, an ultimate, a perfect sacrifice. But the idea that there is no sacrifice involved for the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is dumb. It's wrong. God set us an example of sacrifice and he has called us to sacrifice. What what was the problem with Cain and Abel, right? Remember that whole dilemma? The problem was that Abel brought to God the first and the best of what he had. And it says that Cain, in Genesis, that Cain brought some in time. I think some of us, we feel like when it comes to giving, giving of our finances, giving of our time, giving of our talents and our abilities, sometimes we come with this mindset of like, well, why does God need these things? Like, why does he need my money? Why does he need me to volunteer my time? Why does he need me to serve other people? Like, he's God, he has everything, right? Right, right. He is God. He doesn't need anything from us. He is completely sufficient in and of himself. There is never a time that we pass the offering in this service that we're going, hey, please give to God because if you don't, he won't be able to accomplish his purposes and he's waiting on you, you know. 
That's bad theology, right? God doesn't need our gifts. He doesn't need our sacrifice. He gives us the privilege of remembering who he is and remembering that everything we have, both monetarily and financially, everything we have as far as our talents and our time, the life and breath within us, the blood in our veins is at the will and whim of God. He's gifted it to us. And so when we put money into an offering plate, or when we sacrifice our time in the service of the Royal Family Kids Camp, we don't do that because God couldn't do things without us. We do it because he is worthy. Because everything he's given to us first, everything we have to put back in his service, we would only have because he gave it to us first. There's a great principle there about giving. Part of why we give to God, part of why we give to him is as a reminder, as a remembrance that everything we have already belong to him. He gives us the privilege of giving back to him what he first put into our hands to steward. Not only does he establish here the consecration of the firstborn, but he goes on then uh, to establish the feast of unleavened bread. Look at, um, look at verse, let's see, look at verse three. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Just as a side note here, note that part of the remembrance is not just a corporate remembrance. That part of what what God is calling his people to is not just a sense of God did this for us. God led us out. He delivered our people. He worked in the hearts of our ancestors. That part of what is meant to be conveyed is God did this for me. On this day, God led me out. And so I give back to him this. It's a personal and a corporate thing. There's a community thing here that happens, but it's also an individual thing. He says, when your son asks you, verse eight, you shall tell your son it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be a sign to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. God says, I want you to repeat this. I want you to repeat it. The actual act doesn't have to be repeated, but it needs to be remembered in repetition. God doesn't have to lead them out of Exodus or out of Egypt again and again and again. He's not going to do that same thing every year, but he wants them through repetition to remember what does not need to be repeated. Does that make sense? The same thing is true with the communion table. We're going to come to in a few minutes. The death and resurrection, the sacrifice of Christ, the giving of his body and his blood is not something that needs to be repeated. But in our repetition, there is remembrance that's absolutely essential. That finished work, we remember through repetition. God looks at them and he says, I want you to do this feast of the unleavened bread. And the significance of the feast of unleavened bread is this. It takes a long, stinking time. Right? Seven days, unleavened bread. Have you had unleavened bread before? It's not good, right? I mean, it might be if you put cinnamon on it or something, but it's not good by itself. But what is he saying? He's saying, when you came out of Egypt, remember that you were in a hurry, that the Egyptians said, get out of here and take our stuff with you. 
and you left in a hurry. It says in, in the Old Testament, in the passage we looked at last week, that they left in such a hurry that their dough hadn't even been leavened yet. That it was sort of in process, and so they took it with them. They had this unleavened bread. God says, I want you to remember the quick way in which I led you out. And the way I want you to remember that speediness is by slowing down. Seven days you'll eat unleavened bread. I don't want there to be any leaven in your territory even, he says. It's interesting to me how often we're all up for remembrance, right? We as American Christians are like, yeah, let's remember him. But can we do it in 20 minutes? Can we tag it on to the end of the service if we have time? Let's do something really quick. How long is this going to take? I want to get to the parking lot before anybody else. I got a reservation at Mimi's or whatever, so I'm all for remembering God, but don't make it take too long. Shame on us. God says, slow down. Slow down. We get into this busyness, and it's not that we don't want to remember God sometimes, but it's that we want to be able to do it in our time frame. I like the fact that the, that the remembrance that God puts into place requires them to go slow. It requires them to take seven days. I wonder if you have any, if you have any uh, traditions, if you have any memorials, any symbols in your life that require you to slow down that require you to to put your watch away or put your phone away, for goodness sakes. To stop thinking about the clock and all the other things you wish you could do and instead just slow down and think about him. Reflect upon who God is and what he's done for a period of time that, that, that you can't rush. God puts remembrance into place that is intentionally slow. And while we don't have to maintain and celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread today, we do learn something about the character of God, that he doesn't want us to speed through our worship of him, that he doesn't want us to rush through our remembrances, that he wants us to take the time to slow down. In a culture that says, go fast, the faster you go, the better. Move quick. God says, no, take your time. Really think, really rest, really contemplate who I am. I love the fact that God puts these in place. What we see and what we learn here is that God cares about remembrance. He cares that we remember. In the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He says, remember, write these things down. Put them someplace you're gonna see them. Bind them between your eyes and wrap them around your arms. If you go to the Wailing Wall today in Israel, if you've had the opportunity to go to Israel, you go to the Wailing Wall, you see all these uh, devout Jews that have the box tied to their forehead, right? The phylactery, it's called. And they've got these wrappings on their arms and a phylactery on their arm with scripture bound up inside. They've taken what God has said here very literally. And if you find a friendly one, which isn't super easy in Israel, but if you can find a devout and friendly Jew who speaks English uh, at the Wailing Wall, they will take the time to explain to you why they've done this, why they have the phylactery on their head, because they want to remember who God is. But what God is saying is not literally put a box on your forehead and wrap a box on your arm. He's saying, Cement it in your mind, between your eyes. Remember and let it spur you to action. Remembering these things as a wrapping on your arm means that it should motivate you to do and to be. It's not just something we know. Our faith and our remembrance of God is not just an answer to a Bible trivia question. It's meant to be a catalyst for movement and action in our lives. 
He says, bind these things between your eyes and on your arms. It says, when the Lord God brings you, this is verse 10, when the Lord God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. God says, take care. And we have to receive that this morning. Take care lest you forget. Because we are a forgetful people, aren't we? We got so many things we're trying to remember and so many places we're trying to go and so many different things we're trying to juggle that it's easy if we don't put systems in place to remember who God is, it's easy to forget them. God says, I want you to remember, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 9, and it's, uh, it's when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, immediately following the feeding of the 4,000. You remember that? Jesus is just fed. He's actually done it twice. He feeds 5,000, then he feeds 4,000. He's just fed all these people miraculously. And they get into this boat in Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus says something about the Pharisees. It's kind of an offhanded comment. He says, beware the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And the disciples start to go, Jesus is hungry. He wants lunch. He's talking about bread. Did you bring bread? I didn't bring bread. Were you supposed to bring bread? I thought you were going to bring the bread. Who was supposed to bring the sandwiches? Nobody brought the sandwiches. What are we going to do? And Jesus goes, hey, knuckleheads. Are you honestly arguing about what we're going to eat? Hi, I'm Jesus, right? Yesterday, we fed 4,000 people with a couple of loaves. The day before that, we fed 5,000 with a couple of loaves and fish. Hi, why are you talking about lunch? But isn't that just like us? Isn't it just like us to be so anxious? There's so much anxiety, so much anxiety and stress and fear and doubt in our world today. And we have a lot to be fearful for if we're thinking about ourselves. Because the bottom line is you and I, we have very limited power to affect change in our world and we have very limited knowledge. You don't know what's gonna happen this afternoon. You don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. You don't know what the future's gonna look like and that limited knowledge and that limited power combine to make us terrified, right? But when we remember God, when we remember God who has all the power and all the knowledge and promises to be with us always, well then what difference does it make how much power you have and how much you know? What difference does it make that I can't see around the corner and that I don't have the power to affect what's around the corner anyway because God sees it and God can change it and he's with me. God says don't forget. Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, consecration of the firstborn, these things he puts into place while they're on the trail. He does that so that we'll remember him. In 1 Peter, Peter says, you know, talking about reminding, actually 2 Peter verse 1, or chapter 1 verse 12, Peter says, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 1, finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. You know, sometimes we want innovation, don't we? We want the newest thing. We want the most progressive thing, you know, especially even in churches. It is possible to get so future focused that we lose sight of where we come from, that we lose sight of who brought us to the place we are. The only way for us as a church to lean into the future is by being anchored in the past, anchored in the truth of who God is and what he's done. 
We have to be able to remember. You know, you and I were trying to remember so many different things. I had to call my Verizon, uh, my Verizon dealer a couple of years ago because I forgot my password to my router in my house and I needed to change some settings. So I called them and I said, hey, I'd like you to reset my router. And they said, no problem, sir. We'll reset your router. You just have to, um, can, you, can you answer one of your security questions for us? And I was like, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. And they said, uh, what's your favorite book? And I was like, well, that's easy. The Bible. And uh, the lady goes, oh, that's a cool answer. Okay, hold on one second. She goes, um, that's not the answer you gave. And I'm like, what? You know? And uh, she goes, no, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, I don't know what the pro- There's like some kind of a mix up here because I'm a pastor and the Bible is my favorite book. So I just want to say that for the record, you know? And she's like, no, I, I hear you. That's great. But that's not what you put as the answer to your security question. And I said, well, I'm telling you, like, there is no better book. Like, there's nothing I would rather read. There is, like, that is my favorite. And she goes, irrelevant. It's not the answer to the question. And she goes, uh, do you have another answer? And that felt sacrilegious to me to give it, you know, so I was like, I don't, I do not have another answer to the question, what's my favorite book? And then it occurred to me that my wife and I, we share this Verizon account. And so she might've set this up. And so I said, oh, hold on a second. Let's try something else. Um, I said, try this for me. Would you just type in uh, Twilight? <laughs> and the lady goes, that's it. Okay, I'll reset your router. And I'm like, no. Twilight, my favorite book. There you go. I hear you. Uh, We have a hard time remembering. And God wants us to put systems into place so that we don't forget. That we don't forget who he is. That we don't forget what he's done. That he's led us out by his strong hand. All the things we talked about last week. Who he is. His deliverance. His redemption. His adoption. His blessing, his guidance, right? All those things we talked about that God said to his people, see what I'm about to do. He doesn't just do them. He wants us to remember that's who he is. And so throughout these ordinances that he puts in place, throughout them, he keeps saying, remember my strong arm with which I led you out. Remember who I am. Remember why I did it. That's what remembrance does for us. It reminds us who he is and what he's done, why he did it. It reminds us that we are loved, In a world where it's so easy to feel abandoned and alone, remembering what God has done reminds us that it isn't just some sort of cosmic exercise he's in, but that his love for us is one of the ways in which he glorifies himself, the demonstration of his affection. It also reminds us what we've learned along the way. You know, we make some mistakes, and so did the people of Israel, right? The people of Israel had a lot of places where they turned to Pharaoh instead of to God. They had a lot of places where they grumbled when they should have been faithful. They had a lot of places where they were fearful instead of remembering what God had promised. And so God says, remember, remember, remember. If you have time this week, read Psalm 78. It's a great encapsulation of the faithfulness of God and the forgetfulness of his people. That God does all these miraculous works and the people forget who he is, it says in Psalm 78. They forget him. We too would fall into that trap. We have to be a church and a people and individuals, disciples, Christ followers who remember. When we remember, here's what happens. We're drawn to worship. I love that in chapter 12, verse 27, when God gives them the institution of the Passover, it says the people at the end bow their heads and worship. That's Exodus 12, 27, that they bow their heads and worship in response to these, uh, these rules and regulations he's given them to remember they bow their heads and worship. That's one of our responses. It allows us to know him more. It allows us to be less afraid. 
It allows us to increasingly learn from our mistakes and live more holy lives. So we allow his grace to teach us over time. And then the last thing in this that I really want you to see is that this remembrance, this remembrance, it allows us to pass on the truth to the next generation. Every one of these memorials that we see in these two chapters come with a generational conversation. Every one of them come with a generational conversation. There is a point in each one where God says, when your son asks you, when your family asks you, why are we eating unleavened bread? It's gross. Why did you break the donkey's neck, right? There you go, it's because God led us out with a mighty hand, because God led me out. There's a generational conversation that happens in remembrance and it's absolutely vital and it's no more vital than in a multi-generational church like ours. It is too easy for us to become siloed and to hang out with people who are our same age and our same race and our same walk of life, our same economic status and never have those cross-generational or cross-cultural conversations. But our remembrance is meant to be something we pass on to other people. We have to be intentionally finding ways to pass on the truth to those around us, young and old, that we have these conversations about what we remember. That's part of why God calls us to remember that we would have that, that multi-generational community that knows the past and can anchor in it to lean into the future. There are a lot of ways that God calls us to remember. Sometimes he does it through you know, feast days. Sometimes he does it through piles of rocks on the side of the Jordan River. Sometimes he does it through tassels put onto clothing. Sometimes he does it with a rainbow in the sky. Remember what I've said. There are lots of ways that God calls us to remember, but he does it so much because we forget so often. There is a call for us to remember and to pass on that conversation to the generations that are following after us. And I I said in the last service, and I'll repeat it here, you know, sometimes as older people, we start to think, well, if the young people want to know why I follow Jesus, then they can come and ask me. Can I tell you what? If you're waiting for a young person to come and ask you about your faith, it's never going to happen. And here's why. Young people are stupid. I mean that in the nicest way, right? (laughs) No offense to those of you who consider yourself to be young people. But listen, I wish with all my heart that I could go back. My grandfather's been with Jesus for 20 years. I wish that I could go back and ask him important questions now. But when my grandfather was alive, I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know the things I wish I would know from him. I'd love to know about his marriage. I'd love to know about his raising of children. I'd love to know about his walk with Jesus. But I was a kid when he was alive and I was too stupid to ask the right questions. Young people don't know what they don't know. They don't know how to ask the right question and that's not their fault, it's because they're young. We who are older have to pile up rocks intentionally so they'll go, why'd you do that? Why are we eating unleavened bread? Why'd you break the donkey's neck? So that we can go... Let me tell you who my God is. Because they don't know how to ask the question. And that's not their fault. It's just being young. But when we get older, we start to think, well, if people want to know, they can ask me. No. Go find them. Be a catalyst for conversation to speak into the life of the next generation. God has called us to remember. And and none of this is irrelevant. Do you have to celebrate the Passover? No, you don't. Could you? Sure. Do you have to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread? No, you don't. Could you? Absolutely. Do you have to... Kill your donkey, please don't do that one, okay? But just because these things aren't required for you doesn't mean that they don't demonstrate something about the character and nature of God and his call to remembrance. And there are very clear things that Jesus himself has called us to. For instance, in the next few minutes, we're gonna celebrate the communion table together. An ordinance that was established by Jesus himself for the purpose of remembrance. 
It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus here is calling us to remembrance, but Paul says, understand that this this form of remembrance is also, it's not just an internal thing, it's a proclamation. There's internal remembrance that turns into proclamation of the truth of what Jesus gave. You know, sometimes I think we want to rush through this. The Lord's table, the communion thing, it's just a bullet point on our service agenda. We'll sing a couple songs, some dude's going to talk a little while, then we're going to eat the cracker, and then we're going to get out of here. No. We've got to be people who take the time to remember, to slow down, put our phones away. And think and dwell and contemplate on the body of Christ that was given for us. The blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf in order to establish a new covenant between us and the Father. We cannot, we must not rush these remembrances. And you and I need to be diligent to be setting up memorials, markers, rhythms, patterns in our lives that remind us where we've come from. Remind us who God is. Keep us from falling into the same traps again and again. Remind us that he has the power and the knowledge and he's with us always so that we can be freed from fear. This morning we're gonna, we're gonna take communion together and I want us to go slow. The ushers are gonna come in just a moment and they're gonna pass out these elements and I'm gonna invite you to take them and just hold them. Don't, don't just consume them immediately. Hold them in your hand. We'll take them together in a few minutes. But can we go slow this morning? Can we reflect and remember? The death of Christ does not need to be repeated. But in our repetition, we remember the perfect sacrifice, the unrepeatable sacrifice of Jesus. And it's something we don't want to speed through. Let's remember who God is together this morning as we take communion together.